And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck here back at the Mothership in Irondale, Alabama, where shortly we'll be celebrating our anniversary, our 42nd anniversary of the launch of EWTN on the satellite, thanks to Mother Angelica back in 1981. And this is Father Spitzer's Universe, where your questions are so important. We have a special email address, spitzersuniverse at ew10.com for all your questions. And of course, you can check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, themagiccenter.com, purposefuluniverse.com, and spitzercenter.org. And of course, as we always mention, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on EW10's YouTube channel and on our constantly expanding on-demand page. While you're there on our on-demand page and on our site, check out The Promise, we said, I do forever. The series takes an intimate look the sacrament of marriage as told by real-life couples who offer advice to husbands and wives in their lifelong commitment. We could use it now. And you can see it now for free, as I said, for free, 24-7 on our on-demand page. And go there. there. There's so many things there. We can't even tell you how many are there. Check that out. Also check out our wonderful uh, podcast page as well for audio and video as well. And we continue today with Father's Book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, available as always through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. And the Book of the Month for August, Good Night Jesus, by our friend Kate Sidnor. Kate used to work for us here at EWTN. She put a book together. It's a beautiful little book, uh, kind of like Good Night Moon for Jesus. And uh, check that out. It's just out through EWTN's Religious Catalog. And with that, I turn to my good friend, Father Robert Spitzer, who is great to see on uh, television, though it was really great to be able to spend some time with you actually in person last week, right? Absolutely, and that conference was really terrific, and it was great being with you, taped uh, the live sh uh, shows, the bookmarks, right, and, yeah. uh, and um, just a wonderful group of people over there. Uh, went very, very well. So right, great to be with you, even even on television, but uh, better in person. <laughs> absolutely. You want to kick things off with a prayer? You bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We give you thanks for all that you give us and ask that you send your Holy Spirit down upon us now to inspire guide and protect us so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, very good. So, uh, I can't believe it's actually two weeks by, by at this point. Uh, it seems like only yesterday. Yeah. Uh, article here. That's uh, right. Catholic News Agency, um, a July mm -hmm. poll from Gallup shows a marked decrease in belief of God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil among U.S. adults since the last time the survey was done about seven years ago in 2016. Uh, then seven years ago, 79% of respondents said they believed in God. Uh, now it's down 5% to 74%, okay? Overall belief in God has declined by 16% uh, since the survey was started back in 2001 when back then 90% of the people said they in fact believed in God. So that's from the Catholic News Agency. Mm -hmm. And that leads me into this other article here uh, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, somebody asked me to mention where these articles uh -huh. are from in case they want to uh, check them out themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Church attendance for Gen Xers has dropped off more dramatically than other age groups. Uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic, the per percentage of people ages 39 to 57 who attend a worship service during the week, either in person or online, fell 28% in 2023, down 41% in 2020, according to the survey for this year. And they interviewed several people who said things like, I just got out of the habit of not going. Another person who was a Baptist said, when you got faith, you got faith. I just don't think every Sunday makes you who you are, meaning that I don't really need to do that. And the percentage of Gen Xers who worship weekly is now as low as millennials, uh, where obviously baby boomers and people age 77 and older had the highest attendance. Uh, boomers at almost 40% and uh, the 77-year-olds uh, like at 53%. I guess the closer you get to the to, to, to the end, end of your, your existence, the more people tend to focus on their religion uh, with those things. And the other thing which was interesting, not to drag this on, the idea that people remain on membership roles also in churches but stop volunteering. It says it's not like they're walking away saying, I'm now an atheist or I don't believe. They still believe in God and live life with purpose but are done with the institutional church. Your thought on those two things. Well, um, two real uh, questions there. The first one really deals with uh, young people and their um, abandonment, not only of the church, but abandonment uh, on belief and the just the skyrocketing increase in apathy. Um, as I've said um, uh, earlier, just from our own research at the Majus Center, where we do try to um, take a look at these things and respond to them with high school, middle school programs and uh, you know, parish programs, et cetera. But the, the main thing um, that we find is on the intellectual level, there are three big issues uh, that are causing this. The faith and science issue is by far the largest uh, of all the people that are going to be leaving in that generation, which is 42% of those uh, uh, kids. Now it looks like it's pretty close to 50% of those kids mm -hmm. uh, will leave um, the church or faith um, in God altogether. And of that 50%, 50% will be solely for the uh, mistaken belief that faith and science are contradictory. Mm -hmm. uh, they believe that since the science is truth, faith has to be false. But mm -hmm. it's precisely the opposite, as I've said before. Um, the majority of young scientists today, 66%, profess belief in God or a higher transcendent power. Uh, scientists overall, 51% uh, uh, declare themselves to be believers in God. And of those who um, are um, not believers, it's about 50, you know, it's about uh, maybe around 20% um, uh, are, uh, are, athe are mm -hmm. um, uh, agnostics and, uh, you know, about 15% uh, are atheists. Um, so it really is not a move to atheism on the part of the scientists. It's the opposite way, uh, even though the social media tries to convince you that the majority of scientists are atheists, they're not. Uh, right. Among young scientists, two-thirds are, are believers in God, and among scientists overall, 51%. And uh, the, the atheists are the distinctive minority right. uh, when you take out the agnostics. So the, the problem is not lack of evidence or anything. Kids just don't know what the evidence is, and that's what we try to do at ModgesCenter.com. We, we have a curriculum with Sophia Institute, which we're trying to bring into middle schools and high schools uh, any, anywhere um, uh, in the United States because uh, it's absolutely needed. 
um, to, to you know, you know, prevent this kind of unnecessary attrition from happening. The second area that's really uh, difficult is kids don't have any way of interpreting suffering. They don't know why it's going on. It definitely is, um, you know, preventing them from seeing their, um, you know, God in, in the midst of all this. Mm -hmm. But there really is tremendous uh, reasons uh, why God allows suffering in the world, and we do have a curriculum right. on that. Uh, the third, the third reason is. Um, a disbelief, frankly, in the church's moral teaching, mm -hmm. uh, which is so rampant over the whole of, of um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the young people, that is to say, from Gen X to Millennial, uh, you can pretty much see the, um, uh, there's a disbelief there in the church's moral teaching. But right. again, if you look at this sociologically, um, belief in the, the church's moral teaching uh, does give, mm -hmm. uh, in the end result, a huge um, increase in emotional health, relational health, uh, spiritual health, and marital health. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, religion is right. a, a, an incredibly positive thing, right. but specifically the moral teaching of Jesus Christ is very good for all of the above. So what can we expect with all of these declines? Uh, you know, again, mm -hmm. we can coordinate very cleanly you can see that people who have religiously affi uh, religious affiliation, those people are going to be believers, mm -hmm. um, not only in, in, in God, but believers in some form of morality. So little wonder that they're, um, they have, uh, you know, much less depression, anxiety, um, uh, substance abuse, familial tensions, suicidal contemplation, and suicides. In other mm -hmm. words, non-religious affiliation produces a huge increase, doubling, tripling of depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal contemplation, suicides, uh, substance abuse, etc. So um, we can expect this, and lo right. and behold, what do we find? Mm -hmm. In all the, po the polling that we've been looking at uh, over the last uh, maybe three, four episodes of uh, Father Spitzer's universe, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty clear right. that, that everything is happening according to expectation. I think it's the devil's plan writ mm -hmm. large, uh, and it's working, you know, uh, like lemmings. We are just going off the cliff, mm -hmm. abandoning, reckless abandon, you know, uh, you know, as, as you know, we, uh, you know, just shirk off uh, religion. We shirk off the need for our spiritual comfort, completion, mm -hmm. and anchoring in God so necessary, not just for hope, but just for our dignity and substance and, and you know, the absence of emptiness, alienation, and loneliness. In this world alone, we need right. God. So it's so clear. And then, uh, you know, if you get into some of these uh, uh, you know, t terrible abuses of Christian moral teaching where you just not only abandon them but go absolutely the opposite way mm -hmm. uh, into a kind of a, a crude uh, hedonism. If you do it, you can expect a huge increase. Like we're talking about tripling, quadrupling of depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, etc. So the, the idea is, uh, th is this right. good stuff? No, it's terrible right. uh, what's happening. And people just even though the sociological data, the university data, the archives of general psychiatry make the connection clear again and again and again, year after year after year, nobody wants to pay attention to it. They just simply think, I can walk off the cliff, but I am not going to go splat when I hit the bottom. Mm -hmm. But um, they do, and uh, that's, I guess, we're going to have right. to learn the 
the really hard way, right. uh, you know, this, this is a bad strategy. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, to, to follow up and dovetail into that. There's an article, it was actually something Ben Shapiro from the Daily Wire wrote in response to a statement, uh -huh. a particular uh, Connecticut Democrat made the point about the problems of loneliness and the issues with young people and blaming it on kids being addicted to algorithms. And uh, uh, Ben Shapiro mm -hmm. said, the loneliness is really about the decline of community. Where there's a decline of community coming mm -hmm. from, obviously it's coming from a decline in religious affiliation. He goes on to say that yeah. further, less than half say they believe and this is Democrats, believe in hell and the devil, which makes perfect sense to them. He said, if you believe there's no punishment in the afterlife, there goes one of the incentive and structure, structures for not committing sins in this life of hedonistic purposes. You were just talking about that, that idea that people don't see, well, there's no real downside because there either isn't a God, he doesn't care, or he's all merciful. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to make this point, which I, I think we've talked about before. Many agnostics and atheists are operating from religious principles. They just don't realize it. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, Shapiro's right on the marker. And I think all the, the sociological data, the university data, and the uh, psychiatric data proves uh, that he's right on all of those points. I mean, in terms of the agnostic and atheist um, you know, uh, having religious principles, yeah, I mean, they basically have absolutized freedom, mm -hmm. absolutized sexual expression, um, and once you absolutize those kinds of things, you know, religion has to fall away. Mm -hmm. But, we, you know, God has made us for himself, and we do feel that profound emptiness, alienation, loneliness, malaise, and, and, and guilt. And, you know, without God, we are so radically incomplete. We're just left as almost little smoky substances, like mm -hmm. Lewis describes, as they get to the, 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 you know, the border of heaven there. Right, and, right. and the little smoke wisps uh, step out of the bus, and the grass is going right through them. Mm -hmm. But the, the point that's uh, clear, though, is that um, you know, they don't, you know, people in the, in the world, as you point out, they don't realize it. And because they don't realize it, they think that the absolutizing, their sheer will to absolutize sexuality, freedom, etc., mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that le leads literally to the abandonment of religion and everything that will complete them uh, in, in this life and the mm -hmm. next. Once you've done that, you have to, if you don't go back there to get that absolute grounding, you will become, uh, you know, what um, mm -hmm. what uh, Mircea Eliade called the alienated, non-religious uh, modern man. Mm -hmm. And you know, alienation. If you alienate yourself from God, you alienate yourself from yourself. So I mean, you know, it's, it's self-alienation, uh, pure and simple, and it feels horrible. It manifests itself in malaise. That's why the American Psychiatric mm. Association gets these triplings of depression, anxiety, right. suicides, malaise, contemplation, substance abuse, etc. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you're, you're, Shapiro's right on the market. Right. Here's, an, here's, another, know, think, here's, here's another point he made to, to mm -hmm. kind of wrap things up. He says, uh, he's talking about community. He said, everybody likes to pretend community is just you and your friends being non-judgmental with each other. But that's not true. Even you and your friends have a judgmental set of values with regard to people who are not you and your friends. Every group requires a buy-in. Yeah. Every group requires skin in the game. Yep, I agree totally. And right. I think, you know, um, 
uh, you know, when he, I mean, he's, he thinks it, it is community itself. I, I think it's religious community mm -hmm. because it's specifically in religious community that God is present uh, through, you know, right. the, the group of people and the group of people, you know, being with God makes them not right. only a special group, but also makes them a group that is focused on transcendence. They can really help us to grow. They can help right. us, uh, you know, to become part of the kingdom of God. Where right. it's just like ordinary friends that you meet at a bar, you could say, you know, like that program, friends. You know, well, they, they were nice friends and everything, mm -hmm. but they weren't calling each other to anything in particular. Right. It was just like this toleration society where you go and you, you have a, a drink with people or mm. have share some experiences with people. But boy, there's two kinds of friendships. They're friendships, as, as Plato said a long time ago, and Aristotle said a long time ago, friendships that lead us to our better selves and friendships right. that allow us to just simply be right. who we are. They don't bring us anywhere. They don't help right. us to advance you know, to a, a level where we can do more uh, for the society around us or right. we can become more transcendent in order to be part of the religious community. They're just friendships that you know, make us feel a sense of, uh, of, of community or the right. absence of loneliness on a very temporary level. But I assure you, without God, you can be surrounded by family and friends and still feel an alienation right. and emptiness Isolated. that is utterly right. profound. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's we interesting. We need God. Because his answer at the beginning, at the end of the thing, just to, just to put a, a point on it, uh, to follow up what you said, his, his final thing is, the answer mm -hmm. is community. The answer to that community is go to church. That's basically what he's saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, then, then I agree with Shapiro right. 100%. Right. So. Uh, I didn't read his article before. Him. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I, I apologize right for not hitting that last line. But that was yeah. his whole point is you need community. The community you should yeah. be going to is, is your church, whether that's uh, a synagogue or your, your church mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Here's another story uh, right. uh, having to do with, uh, it's a Daily Signal story, pro-trans health care group issues contradictory stance on gender-affirming care not to beat this into the ground, but the American uh, Academy of Pediatrics on Thursday Academy voted to uh, confirm, this is uh, probably two weeks ago, uh, 2018 policy statement supporting gender-affirming care, but it also authorized, quote-unquote, a systematic review of the evidence, in part to develop an expanded set of guidance for pediatricians. And uh, this is uh, based on a New York Times article said that uh, systematic review and medical search on a treatment follows similar efforts in Europe that have found uncertain evidence for their effectiveness in adolescence. And it goes on to say, indeed, many European countries withdrawn their support for childhood gender interventions, embracing a watchful waiting approach. The American Academy of Pediatrics admits that more research is warranted, but endorses these treatments anyway. So uh, just so people understand, yeah. that's what people are talking about, is that we don't know, or yeah. we see some of the effects, obviously, but we really we don't know what the long-term, long-term effects are going to be totally. Well, we do know one thing. After 10 years, right. we know there is a skyrocketing increase uh, in mortality rates, like a tripling of mortality rates for all purposes. Mm. I'm not talking about sexual reassignment surgery here. Just 
going on hormone treatment, really? okay. uh, opposite um, hormones that you are, that y you would be producing as in terms of your biological sex. So you go on those opposite hormones, just triple the mortality rates right there. That's a 50-year Dutch study, the Den Hagen study. And you look at that and you go, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. Why is it now that eight European countries have literally you know, they dove off literally the entire gender affirming care uh, therapy and now are now saying we don't permit it, we won't spend right. a, a, a dollar of state money on this. And the American pediatrics, you know, the, the more research is required. There's tons of research mm -hmm. out there. We know from all these European studies this is a disaster area. I mean, I don't know what the American Pediatrics Association is looking for, but right now right. they've got a ton of data that they are willfully not acknowledging and now they're doing this kick the can down the road strategy Absolutely. of oh we're not going to turn our uh, you know we're not going to you know t turn the policy over we're not going to do what all the other european countries are doing we're here in america we're going to get a different result mm -hmm. as we begin to scan the research we don't even begin to touch on the research that's there you know 30 year studies 50 year studies in europe that just come pound the mm -hmm. evidence that um, this uh, uh, trans, uh, sexual reassignment surgery and uh, gender um, affirming treatment um, uh, is, is, is a disaster area in terms of deaths, in terms of suicide, in terms of depression, in terms of anxiety. I mean, we're talking about skyrocketing increases for all of these people, people trying to detransition, mm -hmm. and, and, and they're right. going to do some more research. research. This is so kicked a can down the road. It's, it's just, uh, well, you know, it's the, unfortunately... Right. Uh, well, one of the doctors, uh, an endocrinologist from Washington University's School of Medicine, a Dr. Paul Ruse, uh, he said uh, he and other doctors argue that the medical interventions often described as gender-affirming care, I love these names, are experimental, that the organization that presents the standards of care supporting them, which is called the World Professional Association for Transgender Health and the Endocrine Society, represent more a political and advocacy effort than an objective analysis supporting these alleged treatments. Yeah, well, I mm. rest my case. Right. I mean, there it is. I mean, I think we're dealing with political um, motives rather than medical motives, right. and especially, you know, good health and good psychological health motives. This is what the doctors should be interested in. They should not be interested in pleasing politicians who want to forward a liberal agenda. What they should be doing is looking at what are the actual results of gender-affirming therapy overall. They ha I mean, mortality rates is number one important thing. Suicide rates, of course, is very important, but we're talking about all mortality rates uh, overall. The suicide rates are catastrophically high for those receiving sexual reassignment surgery, 20 times higher, as I've said many times. The other thing that is very clear is there are all kinds of other uh, results besides the psychiatric uh, results. It's bad for you biologically, right? You're taking 
hormones that you were not intended to have. Does this have an effect on your brain? Does this have an effect on your moods? I mean, absolutely it does. You, you know, you know if, you, if you think the Spitzer is an impulsive person, all you got to <laughs> do is put in opposite, you know, gender hormones into somebody, and you're just going to flip that switch, you know, toward a, you know, a, a person who's like taking off like a rocket ship. Right. I mean, people know this. The mood changes are really, really significant. And it's not just that. It's that's going to change relationships, right? As, as, as you have, you know, you're, you're, you're right. so, you know, touchy and so forth and so on because of all the things that you're doing to your body. It's a terrible thing. And, and is it going to help you to live longer to have these opposite gender um, uh, hormones being injected in your body? No. The Dutch study shows conclusively that it's going to make you live shorter. So for all intents and purposes, it's a bad idea all, right. all the way around. We've got more than enough significant research. And the American Pediatric Association coming back and saying we're going to look at it for more research. Well, I'm glad they're at least acknowledging that. Right. But they got to get the political stuff off their right. plate and start acting like doctors and acting like their patients really matter instead right. of acting like, you know, just pawns in a political system. Right. It, right. It, it's pretty maddening, honestly. Right, absolutely. And, Maybe uh, the insurance you know, companies you, are getting yeah. to them. You never know, saying, hey, guys, yeah, uh, we, we may have some yeah. problems down We're not going to pay for your lawsuits right. anymore. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and also, uh, you know, people we've talked a lot about, and we've heard a lot about the uh, things. Oh, before I wanted to mention, I can't remember which of the, uh, you know, surgeon admirals or generals who's, who's a trans uh, uh, man, woman, whatever uh, person. Uh, I don't mean to give them a hard time. But in an interview, they actually said that w with the whole trans thing is that maybe your body's going through the wrong puberty. Okay, because you really, you're really a, you're a guy, but you're really a woman, and you're going through male, and that's why you needed to change. I mean, I mean, talk about like ludicrous statements. The two statements. doctors that right. did the Johns Hopkins statement right. study show pretty conclusively there is not one biological datum, not a single one, to validate the organic or biological origin in the brain or otherwise of a man being trapped in a woman's body or a woman being trapped in a man's body. Right. It's just not there. The fiction is being perpetuated for obvious, in my view, political right. reasons. Right. And the fallout emotionally, the fallout physically, the fallout in terms of mortality rates, the fallout in terms of suicide rates, you know, we're just creating right. a crisis after crisis. And we're the only country that is, you know, it's like, it reminds me of the Three Stooges, you know, <laughs> Where you know the you know the, the the guy basically says you know I want three volunteers and the entire company ste steps back, back and right. there's the three, three stooges, stooges left right. in front right. you know kind of looking around like <laughs> idiots and you know the whole European community uh, the medical community is moving backward and there's the Americans you know looking oh we're going to do more research you know <laughs> what the heck you know I'm sorry but I mean the analogy seems right, to fit right right yeah absolutely so. stooges is right uh, you know. The the library, you know, there's been a lot of uh, controversy the last couple of years, uh, certainly in the last year with the whole libraries and the books and what's happening there and whatever the attraction between uh. drag queens and libraries were, which I could never figure out over the years that this was going mm -hmm. on.
But this might give you an insight. There's something called the American Library Association, okay? It's a national association. Well, the president of the American Library Association is doubling down on the statement she made last year where she refers to herself as a Marxist lesbian. Um, and uh, this is a Breitbart story uh, that, the, that reported that this particular person, Drabinsky, wrote on her website that her vision for the American Library Association is to build and use the collective power of its members to pursue a host of left-wing political issues. Consequences, she went on to say, consequences of decades of unchecked climate change, class war, white supremacy, and, and imperialism have led us here. So it, it, I just mentioned it because... It, <laughs> imperialism? It, yeah, yeah. Oh, get, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, which Jack books you can... That yeah, one yeah, oh, right. Good. So, but just the idea, it helps people understand when they're trying to figure out what is going on. You need to look behind the curtain and see who are the yeah. personalities and the people who are involved making these decisions, or as uh, one referred to, yeah. who now have their hands on the switching points. And it explains a lot. Well, yeah, since this is a, a government agency who receives government dollars, uh, you might start putting a little bit of political pressure, call up your congressman, say, we don't like her. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get, let's get another, uh, you know, head librarian or whatever, another head of the American Library Association. Or if, if she's really got the collective power and it's not a government organization, mm -hmm. it's just an independent organization, then for sure don't give that organization power over what gets purchased in our right. libraries. Right. Something like that. If it's p taxpayer dollars, it should correspond to taxpayer views and what they think is healthy right. for not only their children, but actually uh, right. for the rest of society as well. Right, so, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, and I don't and, think we need to orient everything toward, uh, you know. Right, but ahead. it's helpful for people to understand where some of comes. And right before, we got about 30 seconds or so, and I thought this was interesting, uh -huh. especially uh, Miracle at Fatima, World Youth Day Pilgrim receives her sight after communion at Mass. I don't know if you had heard this story. A uh, young girl no, from haven't. Spain, uh, I opened my eyes and I could see perfectly, said Jimena, a 16-year-old Spanish World Youth Day uh, Pilgrim, who said she miraculously recovered her sight after receiving the Eucharist at Fatima, Portugal, during Mass there. Uh, I think she only had 5% of her sight, and she had been uh, praying in Novena uh -huh. to Our Lady, uh, and it was the last day of that Novena, and she was praying hard that that would uh, happen for her, and it did. So they're researching to see, uh, you know, going to be looking into it to see actually, you know, is it really a miracle? But uh, mm -hmm. it's being reported as one oh, and yeah. they looked into well, right now, so I thought, you know, especially with your own situation, oh, yeah. that that was an interesting uh, story. Oh, yeah, I think they're going to convene, definitely convene a, a scientific panel, um, you know, and that I think that may well be legitimate. You know me, right. uh, I, I'm certainly a believer in the scientific validation of miracles uh, that have happened. I mean, 7,000 of them, mm -hmm. uh, are, you, know, are re, you know, have been recorded with the, the Lourdes Medical uh, Bureau, now the, the Lourdes Medical Observation Bureau, but uh, still, um, you know, 10 times more miracles have happened at Lourdes right. than are recorded at the, the Medical Observation right. Bureau for the obvious reason that um, the um, uh, people would have right. to r take all their records from beforehand, all their records afterward, submit to 10 years of uh, follow-up uh, by various people uh, after the fact, continue to submit records, and people right. go, I got my miracle. I'm going right. home. Right. I don't need all of this. Right. Uh, you know, I know what happened. I, I know what happened to me. 
Yeah. I know what happened in my yeah, life. I was blind, and now I can I see. see. The there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> and on that point, we are going to take a break, of course. Uh, stay right yeah. there, Father Spitzer, and we ask you to stay with us as well yeah. as we get into your questions and then the book. Stay with us here on Father Spitzer's Universe. Thank you for staying with us for part two Father Spitzer's Universe. Just wanted to mention before we get back to Father that our EWTN family celebration is almost upon us Saturday, August 26th in Birmingham, Alabama, right near the mothership. Speakers include Father Wade Manises, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Jim and Joy Pinto. We'll have Mass with the Bishop here, Stephen Reka, a great bishop. More information and how to register, it's all free at our family celebration, ew10.com forward slash family celebration. We just like to get a handle on how many people might be there and all the other EWTN regulars that you see on the network, a lot of them will be there as well. And so we look forward to seeing you there. And we really appreciate it. Even last year when Father Spitzer was there, we were out in Phoenix, uh, so we will miss him. But. Uh, it is a great event, and I know it was great for you even being there, getting an opportunity to meet and greet with uh, so many of the viewers, right? And uh, everybody was uh, so genuine, so nice. It was really a terrific experience for me, and I hope for the people that came. Right, absolutely. So people look forward to that. Check that out. A couple of uh, questions or statements right before we get going here is dear father Spencer, sure. i love you and your show when you lead us in the opening prayer each week i thank our blessed lord for you and doug that's very nice your final blessing to close the show is always inspired and profound pertinent to what was discussed during the program i look forward to and treasure that touching moment each week thank you for those beautiful heartfelt blessings father lisa marie so she just wanted oh. to and that, Gee, that's very Liz, nice thanks a lot absolutely <laughs> yeah that'll get us through the week Absolutely, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, uh, as an almost 90-year-old healthy cradle Catholic who has just purchased and finished the introduction to your book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, I feel as Paul Harvey said, this is quote unquote the rest of the story. To know the full story, should I be first reading the quartet, then the first two volumes of the trilogy? How otherwise could I catch up? I am not the fastest of readers, and this is Richard. Well, Richard, I would say this, um, you know, it is true that, um, you know, the, uh, the first volume, especially Christ versus Satan in our daily lives, um, that could be helpful uh, to kind of getting you on board um, with that book. Uh, the, the book was meant to be the third volume in the trilogy. However, the second volume, Escape from Evil's Darkness, that book really is how to build a Catholic spirituality. So mm -hmm. it really is trying to give you the essentials for uh, how you can build um, intellectual, spiritual, and moral conversion and what's entailed and really the richness, the density of um, you know Catholic uh, mm -hmm. teaching uh, to build a spiritual life. But this book is really on, uh, it's a defense, honestly, mm -hmm. of the church's moral teaching mm -hmm. uh, in terms of secular uh, studies, secular um, uh, surveys, etc., mm. and so I did really try to um, to, to justify uh, my main thesis is that if you 
um, adhere to the church's moral teaching, uh, you're going to be uh, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, relationally and maritally healthy. If you disobey, uh, you know, the church's teaching in, in, in any of the 12 major controversial issues, mm -hmm. you're going to experience a plummeting uh, decrease in um, uh, emotional health, spiritual he uh, health, uh, relational health and marital health. Mm -hmm. And that, that's my thesis and I think I proved it with uh, basically 40 pages of bibliography of studies and so forth that are there. Uh, so I would say try to read just uh, Christ versus Satan in our daily lives, uh, maybe just as a, uh, a beginning point. Uh, it very blunt. Uh, mm -hmm. You can see um, who's in charge of the current uh, malaise in our culture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's the evil spirit, of course. And he really is uh, succeeding, especially uh, the Gen Xers and the Millennials. Right. I hate to say it, but uh, uh, they're playing right to the plan, and the Gen Zers too. I mean, it's right. it's really it's tough to just stand by and watch. I mean, I, I know I get very animated on the program, but <laughs> why you would want to do this to yourself, you right. know, is uh, is I, I just don't get it. I mean, so I mean. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm screaming to the choir here, but I'd uh, like to be screaming more right. to the Gen Xers and Millennials right. and Gen but Zers. They, so they need to take their headphones off, maybe, or, or you know, take yeah. the eyes off the screen. But that's Get why you're. The, that's why you have the, those websites yeah. because that's that's where they travel. Yeah. That's where they live, and that's why you're reaching them where yeah. that is. One last question before we get to the topic, dear Father Spitzer. Mm -hmm. How do you know you've made a good confession? I try hard, but sometimes I think I'm scrupulous. Beforehand, I try to do a good examination of conscience. I want to be always in the state of grace when receiving communion. Thank you, and need to have a chance for all your great programs. Stan. Sounds like he's well, doing pretty Stan, good to it me. It sounds to me, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it seems like you're doing very, very well. And so, you know, if, if you uh, are really trying, that's what's required. You don't mm. want to go back and say, well, you know, in retrospect, I could have said this better. I, I, you know, this. You know, I forgot this uh, incident over here. Basically, when you get that absolution, mm -hmm. it's for all your sins. If you really tried, you know, and of course, you know, you weren't trying to purposely neglect something. Uh, it's a good confession. So you're, mm -hmm. you're doing real well, Stan. So hang right in there, and uh, don't really doubt yourself. Uh, you know, it seems to me like you're really doing a very good right. job and you really are in a state of grace. And of course, the Lord knows your mind mm -hmm. and your heart. He knows what you're, what you're doing. So, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't think you're trying to, to skip over things. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't help what you don't remember. Right. If, if you don't, rem you know, if, if we could only remember what we don't remember. Right, you know? <laughs> I mean, right. That's, exactly. That's the whole Augustine deal, right? You know, you can't do it. So, uh, you know, you have to accept yourself for where you are. And if you're really trying hard, that's the main point. Right. Uh, so keep it up. Right, absolutely. Let's go to the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, page 24, the top of that page. You talk about my second purpose for writing this volume is to show inductively that objective moral norms are necessary for the emotional and spiritual health of individuals. Now, we hear a lot about deductive reasoning from uh, Sherlock Holmes and stuff. Explain why you're oh, talking yeah. about inductively. 
Yeah, because you're basically making uh, uh, generalizations from a particular observable data. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, um, you know, when, uh, science does induction all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So, it, it, you know, scientists look at a whole series of, of observational data, especially repeated observational data. Sociologists don't have, you know, quite the access to the, uh, the stability of physical data, but they do have very good techniques uh, for making sure that a survey is good, that it's longitudinal, their standards uh, for you know making sure you have double blind comparisons, etc. All these things are, are set into place. But if you follow those norms and rules pretty assiduously, then you can make what we call a, a valid generalization. That is to say, we can make a, a, a basic norm or rule mm -hmm. that says, you know, if you do this, this is likely to happen. So um, based on, you know, all the sociological data we currently have, and I mean, I'm not t kidding you, there are hundreds of good secular studies that are done by, you know, um, General Psychiatry Institute, by a variety of other uh, universities, uh, by medical, um, you know, institutes that, you know, uh, and also ones that are devoted to, to sociological studies themselves. So you look at that and you go, okay, what can you conclude from this? Basic generalization is if you want to, uh, you know, uh, be, you know, do do something transgender, uh, you can expect a three times increase in mortality rates or whatever, a twenty times increase in suicide rates with sexual reassignment surgery. Is that a for sure? Mm -hmm. Well, no, but it's very. Uh, it, it seems to recur on that level again and again, so it's a valid generalization. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, uh, it, you know, a, a homosexual lifestyle. If you start getting into that lifestyle, what could you expect? Mm -hmm. You could expect a three times increase in depression. You could expect a, a, a three point five increase in anxiety. You could expect a five times increase in panic disorders. You know, and so forth and so on. And now that's just induction, right? It's, it's, it, you're you're looking at the data mm -hmm. again and again from multiple studies and what do you find this is what you find you also find unfortunately a, se uh, a, a five to seven times increase in suicidal contemplation uh, to the point where 40 percent of that population contemplates suicide that's worth knowing is it a for sure is it like you know a, a physical law for example mm -hmm. like the the you know the the law of entropy or something of that nature the second law of thermodynamics no right. but it's a pretty good conclusion from really good studies that have been done by medical associations that are not biased by seemingly uh, any political agenda certainly not in favor of the statistics that they've drawn and the Netherlands obviously comes up with some very good uh, um, uh, you know statistics and studies and uh, I use those statistics from the Netherlands from New Zealand from Sweden principally because it's you know um, uh, they, they're very open cultures right, very friendly to people uh, you know who are doing these things so stigmatization is less of a factor than it would be which maybe is, which is a lot American of times study. what gets blamed here is it's it's not that there's a really a problem it's that these people's lifestyle are stigmatized if they weren't stigmatized they'd be okay they'd be they'd be much happier that's right right that's right so the stigmatization uh, issue is is more or less uh, minimized by uh, looking at those statistics and in general so um, right. those uh, I again you know I could point out I mean the pornography statistics I mean they're so well grounded 
uh, you know, there's 130 major studies done on the negative effects of pornography to adolescents, to marriages, to job, uh, you know, performance, to, you know, I mean, uh, to emotional right. intimacy, uh, you know, to uh, future uh, risk-taking in sexual behaviors. I mean, there's like so much right. data there that it's almost beyond induction at this point. Right. It's, it's a really solid, solid generalization. So th that's the main point of, you know, the, the idea of induction is, yeah, it's, I, right. I'm not giving you a physical law, but what I'm giving you is a pretty darn good generalization based right. on a whole lot of data of double-blind studies that are longitudinal, that are done in environments that are open to the people who uh, the study is about, and of course, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, looking at um, the heart statistics first, mortality rates and suicides are important because that's hard data. Sometimes you get into the opinion poll, you know, are you happy that you received your um, sexual reassignment surgery? Well, two years after the sexual reassignment mm -hmm. surgery, everybody's going to say, I'm super happy. So you look at that and you go, hmm, how valid is that opinion survey? Well, it's not very valid if uh, 10 years after the surgery, you've got a 20 times increase in suicides. Mm -hmm. that, that's not a valid survey. So you could say, yes, of course, people can be happy. But longitudinal surveys are the only ones mm -hmm. that matter. And correlation with hard data is what matters, like mortality rates and suicides. That's not an opinion. That's mm -hmm. a fact. You couldn't get a more blunt fact. So the, the fact is, is that's what we're looking for. Of course, we want good double-blind studies, et cetera. So all of these things, if you put them in place, you can get a pretty solid you know, generalization that's not like a, a physical law, cause and effect, but it is really pretty solid data. This is terrible mm -hmm. for your emotional health terrible for your spiritual health. And it's interesting that secular surveys, like the Pew Survey, are always interested in how these behaviors, like pornography or, um, you know, um, uh, uh, for example, homosexual lifestyle, affects mm -hmm. your religious life. Mm -hmm. And the Pew Survey has done very, very good uh, statistics. And, man, you know, if you look at the, just the Pew Survey, you know, I think it was 2014, right. I forget what the year was, uh, when they did a comprehensive survey, mm -hmm. your religious life is cut in half. So your Bible study, right. your church attendance, your um, uh, even your declaration of belief in God. You see, you have a doubling of atheism if you take up the lifestyle. I mean, uh, certainly pornography. Oh my gosh! You know the big, huge University of Oklahoma study, for example. You look at that. The more pornography you read, basically, the more your religious practice goes Absolutely. down, all yeah. the way to zero. And then you go to the other studies. Um, you know, of, of other issues as well. And it's really clear right. that, you know, if you start doing that, I mean, look at post-abortion syndrome. Oh my gosh, you know, the, the, you know, the Guttmacher Institute, you know, which of course is attached to the Planned, Planned Parenthood. Parenthood. Right. You look at that and then they claim, they claim that, oh, oh, there's no such thing as post-abortion syndrome. But then you go to, you know, um, you know uh, Priscilla Coleman's studies, you know, published in the British Journal of Psychiatry. You know, uh, three, uh, you know, three quarters of a million women are involved in that study. And you look at that and you go, yeah, there really is a huge decline in emotional health. Mm -hmm. There really is a huge decline, right. uh, I mean, increase in suicides, a really huge increase in suicidal contemplation and in substance abuse, et cetera. So I think, you know, at right. some point, 
the data tells you whether even though it's inductive mm -hmm. if you got enough right. people and a large enough sample size and a study that was carefully done and it was longitudinal and focuses on hard facts basically right. these are valid generalizations right. and people ought to know this stuff before Absolutely. they get involved in the lifestyle right you know before you start looking at the pornography don't just believe it's a victimless sin. You know, <laughs> look at the data, you know. And so all I was trying to do in this book is give right. a ton of data, right. uh, you know, and just look at these studies. I didn't use religious studies purposely. You know, the, the mistaken belief that cohabitation is just the right thing to do before marriage. And the longer you cohabitate, the better off your marriage can, will will be. Mm -hmm. When you look at the hard data and the good surveys, mm -hmm. rongo bongo. Right. Because of course once again we find it's exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. The longer you cohabitate, the more you get into the sliding effect, the more you get into the gender asymmetry effects, the more you get into the stresses of the cohabitation uh, relationship that has no security for the future and they carry this stuff over into mm -hmm. the marriage and it, the longer you cohabitate, the more likely it is that you will have a less satisfying right. marriage and a less uh, lunge, um, uh, um, uh, 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 length of duration in your marriage. And at the end of the day, of course, right. an increase in divorce rates uh, within Absolutely. seven years. So, I, I mean, I rest my case. I mean, the Rosler right. and Rosenfeld studies are excellent studies. And, I, I, you know, there's just more than enough data well, to I'm just, just say, wondering, this is baloney. Right. Uh, speaking of that kind of baloney, uh, thinking, going back to the pornography, now we're de dealing with AI where these, you know, these people aren't even even real. I mean, it's a virtual yeah. pornography that's coming uh, for people. And, and part mm -hmm. of it is, is it creates loneliness, but it's also a function of loneliness. The other thing I was interested in was you, you made the... You yeah, know, you depression talked, rates right. actually skyrocket yeah. with the amount of time rent. Sorry, right. go ahead, Doug. No, I, no, the other yeah. part I was interested in your take on is the idea that we, we talk about, the, the, let's say, the gay lifestyle and the acceptance of that, let's say, inside churches out there. Now, you would think mm -hmm. that since there's many, especially mainline Protestant churches, there's been an incredible level of acceptability, if not celebration, in some of those cases. But we haven't seen a big uptick in those particular places, right? In 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 the fact that oh well, all these people in these churches who are living this lifestyle suddenly are getting very religious. Yeah, well, they they don't, according right. to the Pew survey. I mean, it looks like they get a doubling in their declaration right. of atheism and having of church, you know, uh, church attendance is half uh, that. The Bible reading is half that. A belief that religion is important in your life is half that, et cetera. So, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that it has the opposite effect. Right. And so, you know, uh, again, my only thought is I don't want to judge anybody, really. Right. Uh, you know, the old Pope Francis line of, I, 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 who am I to judge? But I'll tell you one thing. I can tell you what those lifestyles will do to you mm -hmm. in the future. And I can tell you it's not good. Right. And I can tell you this based on really good, hard data, good studies. And that's, like I said, you know, I, I, the reason for the 40 pages of bibliography mm -hmm. is I just wanted people to know 
There's a ton of info out here. I, I just would like you to read about it. So if you're interested in that data, purchase that book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, shameless uh, ad. But, you know, I'd have to say that at the same time, you know, it does give you almost like it's like a little reference volume mm -hmm. that has those studies. And that is important to know before you get into the lifestyle, before right. you listen to the uh, popular culture, before you listen to the political agenda, just take a peek at the studies. What does the archives of general psychiatry, what do they have to gain by, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, putting out uh, political, they don't. Mm -hmm. They just take the survey data. And like I said, they, they also include the surveys from the Netherlands and Sweden and so forth, which, uh, by the way, these are the countries that are reversing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on transgenderism just as fast as they can because the data is so right. overwhelmingly bad. It's so negative that, you know, you would be truly immoral for suggesting, uh, you know, that this could possibly be good for anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, treat the real causes. Help people, you know, to, to you know, to, 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 you know, deal with uh, some of these things, you know, in a, mm -hmm. you know, that they have in a very healthy way. Uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, so many people have said that they have benefited from things like Courage um, uh, uh, RC or Courage International and, you know, or, you know, uh, have, you know, you know, if you're addicted to pornography, I'm, I'm telling you right now, you, you've got to get on some software. You're going to have to get on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a group that will help you monitor this. It's very hard to do it for yourself. It has such an addictive value, and, and I do explain the physiological addiction. Mm -hmm. It's hard to believe. You say, well, what do you mean, like a physiological addiction to pornography? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. I mean, it actually alters uh, the brain and the pleasure receptors in the brain. It's almost like an opiate, to mm -hmm. be honest with you. And, and, and you, you need start, more you and know, more or harder and harder yeah. to get the same kick just like any other drug. That right. is correct. Right. And, and because you are doing that to yourself, you have to know it's going to affect your emotional intimacy. It's definitely going to affect your marriage. You know, you can expect a 2.5 times increase in divorces. It's going to affect your job and your job performance. It, you know, it, you can just see this. And you say, well, you know, I won't be one of those mm -hmm. statistics. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not so sure you're right. You know, it's the old, you remember in the Princess Bride when Fis mm -hmm. Fessing right. says, you know, the, the, the Fessini's always saying, inconceivable. inconceivable right. And finally Fessing goes, uh, I don't think that word means it what, you, what think you think it means. I'm not so sure you're uh, right. <laughs> inconceivable. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I leave it at that. But, uh, okay. Uh, ending on the Princess Bride. Well, it's a perfect, perfect so. timing. You actually finished early, so now you can do a, an extra long blessing on the way out the door. Oh, oh well, wow, that was, <laughs> as they say, happened right into that. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Spirit of the Lord be upon all of you, the Spirit who is truly wise, that has true love and compassion as his uh, objective ever and always, the spirit that seeks the truth, that seeks the truth about us, about God, about relationships, about religion, 
religion and may that spirit inspire you so that you might follow and be a true truth seeker unto and, and, and help others to follow that truth with great undaunted courage in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, Doug, you gave me permission. Go along. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. And we'll see you, uh, see you next time, fathers. Be well. And, of course, we'll look Absolutely. for you as well. Father Spitz's books and DVDs naturally available through EW10's religious catalog. Next week, we'll continue on with Father's book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. Had a great opportunity to do a couple of book interviews you'll see on the network soon when we were out in Napa. And Jesus himself drew near, spirituality for shaping the lives of young people with Father Jack Peterson. That's this weekend's uh, EWTN bookmark. It'd be great if you could check that out. Also, we've got the Father James E. Coyle Memorial Mass. Now, this is very dear to our hearts here in Birmingham, lying from the Cathedral of St. Paul in Birmingham with the Most Reverend uh, Thomas Rodi, Archbishop of Mobile, as celebrant. That's this Friday, August 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It's basically the story of a Catholic priest who was a, basically a martyr for the faith. And uh, I know Jim Pinto of Jim and Joy fame is a big proponent of his cause. And we'll see where that goes. And we'll see where you go as well when we catch up with you next week here on Father Spitzer's Universe. Thanks. <laughs>